Welcome to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. Today, our guest speaker, Reverend Gary Peck, shares with us the good news of John chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. We begin to understand that salvation truly is a new life, and that life journeys through following Christ. So, Pastor Matthew asked me to um, preach on what is part what is the lectionary for today which is John chapter 3 verses 1 through 17 as we are in this Lenten season approaching Easter and as I read over it I thought to myself well this passage is so familiar to everyone how am I going to preach on this um, and make it interesting or, or unique um, because you know John 3 16 is probably the one Bible verse that everyone knows, has memorized, uh, and uh, we all know the story of Jesus and Nicodemus. Um, But as I prayed and meditated on it uh, more, I came up with a plan, or maybe the Lord gave me a plan, to maybe look at it with some fresh new eyes and see if maybe there's something new that we can glean from this uh, passage. Before we even get into uh, the passage, though, I'd like to... um, sort of go through a story that maybe some of you are familiar with, but I think it, I think it will be a good lens to uh, look through to better understand the passage in John chapter 3. It's the story of the Tham Luang cave rescue that took place in Thailand in 2018. You remember that? Yes. It's an amazing story, but we know that this... Uh, this little soccer team over there, uh, they had a 25-year-old assistant, and uh, there were children, 12 members of this team from ages 11 to 16, and after they had had a practice, they decided that they were gonna explore these caverns, okay? And they actually had planned ahead. Some suggested that they were planning to have a birthday party in the caverns. They had bought a lot of food, and they took it to the caverns with their bicycles and all, and they went into the caverns. Of course, none of the parents knew that they were gonna do this. This was just something that they had planned, kind of some innocent fun, who knows, maybe some of them had never explored these caverns or not. But unfortunately, what happened was, this was, um, this was on, in, in June, and uh, it, it was just a few days before July and in July and August is the monsoon season in Thailand. So they went into this cavern, and the cavern, you know, the tunnels, they went kind of like this, and they went down in different areas and came back up and down and whatnot. And they actually had gone two and a half miles into this cavern. And then the rains came. And the rains filled the lower portions of the tunnels. And they were trapped. I mean... They were seriously trapped. There was no way that they were going to be able to get out on their own. It wasn't until the parents of the, of the kids started calling the coach that the coach realized something was wrong, and they got a hold of one of the, one of the boys who didn't go with them, who actually had gone home that day. They went to the cave. They found all the bicycles there, and, and they really started to panic. Well, it became a worldwide catastrophe. Um, involving over 10,000 people to try and rescue these, these young boys. 
Now there was a sign posted at the entrance to the caverns not to enter the caverns in July and August. The boys entered a few days early. Unfortunately, they got trapped. But can you imagine the despair? There you are. They found a high enough ledge where they weren't in the water, but there was no way they could swim back through two and a half miles worth of tunnels and all. Um, they were trapped. They were trapped for over a week before some expert divers were able to somehow find their way by swimming with oxygen tanks through these caverns until they found these boys. Well, once they found the boys, they communicated back to the surface and, and let the families know that the boys were still alive. Um, the, the assistant coach who was with them happened to have been a former monk, so he was able to help the boys calm down and somehow just be focused. But they, were, they had no idea what time it was or what day it was. Um, they were malnourished, they were weak. But they started sending other rescue people down, med uh, some doctors and whatnot, and they began to give the boys some medicine and some food, and they tried to cheer them up and entertain them while they desperately tried to figure a way to get these boys out. It was obvious that the boys had tried to dig their way out because about five meters up into the ceiling they had dug away at the cavern ceiling and walls, but there was no way they could have gotten out. Um, and at first they thought, well, maybe we need to train the boys to swim so they could help them swim out. Some of the boys didn't know how to even swim, but that would be futile too. You can't swim long distances and hold your, hold your air. So they finally, they finally came up a with a plan where some expert divers came and they brought oxygen tanks and they, uh, they had a special kind of a mask that they would put on the child and a harness with a backpack with oxygen and they were gonna transport them one at a time harnessed to a, to a diver. The oxygen saturation in the cave had dropped to 15% by the time the rescue was actually taking place, which is really lower than compatible for human life. We need 21% at least. So it was a very desperate situation, but for a few short days, the rain stopped before the next deluge was about to come. So they had a small window of opportunity to get these boys out. But what they had to do is one at a time, they took a boy and they attached him to a, um, a diver and it took five hours to get him back out of the cave that way. And a doctor had to anesthetize the boys and put them to sleep so they wouldn't panic on the way. And the diver had to maneuver him and some of the, some of the uh, places were like 15 inches high, 28 inches wide. That, that's how narrow some of the passageways were. Can you imagine trying to navigate yourself and an unconscious boy with a mask breathing through these? And then when they reached dry places, they would strap them to a stretcher and pull them to the next place where they had to go underwater again. The good news is they got all the boys out alive, amazingly, and the, and the assistant coach. Um, two of the rescue people died in the process, so it was a, it was a costly, costly enterprise to rescue these boys. Um, amazing story. I can't imagine anything worse. I think, I think if there's any fear that I have, it's claustrophobia. 
Every now and then I'll dream about being stuck somewhere where you can't get free or whatever, and who knows why that is, you know? Maybe I had some kind of birth experience or something. Or, I don't know, but that's a, that's a nightmare, isn't it? The thought of it. And even the thought of the, uh, imagine the boy being told, okay, we're gonna put you to sleep, and we're gonna try to get you out through this tunnel. You'd have to have some faith in those people, wouldn't you? I mean, you, oh my goodness. So anyway, so that's, that's the cave rescue. I want, to, I want to use that, I want to look through that lens at, at uh, John chapter 3. So let's just say that that's a little bit like humanity. Somehow Adam and Eve got lured into a cave, if you will, a spiritual cave of darkness. They were in a good place when they were created. God was there, walking with them in the cool of the day. But they got lured away. We know they ate of the apple or the fruit and they, all that, but it's a little bit like that. And, you know, I, I, to God, a day is like a thousand years. So for these children in that cavern, it was just a couple of weeks. But for humanity, it's been thousands of years. We've been stuck in this dark cave, if you will. Um, and humanity has continued to reproduce. And we're so far away from the original two that wandered into that cave that we don't even remember the outside world. We think this world is the real world, you know? So let's, let's take a look at John chapter 3. You don't have to go there, but if you want to, you certainly can. I'm going to read these first, these uh, 17 verses. Actually, I'm going to read 19 verses just to put us into context here. And let's sort of be thinking about that as we read this. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miracle, miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born again when he's old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you that the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have ever lasting life. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Well, who was Nicodemus? Well, we, we know he was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He appears three times in the Gospel of John. He appears three times in the New Testament. Right there, we met Jesus. The second time, he uh, stood up for Jesus before the chief priests and the Pharisees, saying, hey, we need, to, uh, we need to hear what this Jesus has to say before we condemn him, okay? And the third time, he appeared before Pilate with Joseph of Arimathea to take the, the body of Jesus and prepare him for burial. So Nicodemus, he may have come, come under the cover of night to Jesus at first, but eventually something happened in his life and he had to step out into the light and be a witness and, and honor the Christ. It's interesting though, kingdom. Kingdom is the next word I want to look at. Jesus began talking to Nicodemus about the need to be born again, to see the kingdom of God or to enter the kingdom of God. And, and you know, kingdom is a word that is mentioned, the kingdom of God or heaven is mentioned 147 times in the New Testament. It was like a major theme of Jesus. I mean, basically all of his teachings were the kingdom is like this, the kingdom is like that. And he had to use earthly terms because no one really had been to heaven but him. So he was trying to relate in different ways to help them grasp this kingdom. After Jesus had uh, been baptized and been tempted in the wilderness, it says that he returned to Galilee, anointed by the Holy Spirit, in the power of the Spirit, and he began to what? Preach, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Believe the good news. Well, I've always kind of wondered what what exactly is he referring to here? I mean, I, I, know, I know my own experience of meeting the Lord and all, but he really was emphasizing kingdom. And you think about it, it's almost like he's someone from the outside world coming down into these caverns saying, hey, people, I know you think this cavern is the real place, and you've got your own government set up and your own religious systems, and, and you've got, you know, you're living in a broken world here, but this is not the real world. You know, somehow we found ourselves born into this world, but this is not the eternal kingdom of God. And Jesus was, he was like yelling, hey, the kingdom is near. The rescue is, is, is almost here. You can be set free from this. Someday you will be. And he began to teach the principles of the kingdom of God. You know, he began to share the language of the kingdom of God with people. You know, and if you look at, the Beatitudes, those are some of the principles of the kingdom of God, as opposed to the kingdoms of this world, where greed and lust and hatred and all these things are characteristic. Yeah, there's shades of beauty, but there's depravity. I mean, none of us can deny the fact that this world is broken. 
You know? I mean, we don't live here forever. We get ill. Tragedy happens. So Jesus is saying, good news. This is not all there is. This, isn't, this is not all there is. But the darkness rejected the light because the darkness only understood darkness. And many people didn't want to acknowledge the light because that would require them to acknowledge that something was wrong, not just with the world around them, but themselves. So it would take the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of the blind. And, and listen to the, the first thing that Jesus did, according to Luke, after he came back from the temptation and all that, he returned to Galilee, he went to Nazareth, went into the synagogue, and he picked up the scroll of Isaiah. And what did he say? The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's like he's the first one from the kingdom of heaven that arrived on earth to say, hey, we found you. You're found. There's hope. There's hope. Here's the second Adam. Well, he spoke about the need to be born again. And I, you don't have to believe or agree with what I have to say this morning. That's fine. I'm just sort of kind of looking at things a little differently. I know that when I was in college is when my life changed. I, came, I encountered Christ for the first time. That made sense to me. It's like my eyes were opened. And I refer to that time as when I was born again, when I was saved, you know. But when you look at the New Testament, the term born again only really takes place in this chapter, okay? And the new birth only takes place two other times in, in the book of 1 Peter. In the book of 1 Peter, it says, a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A living hope, like a new hope, okay? And then also, um, born again of imperishable seed through the loving and enduring word of God. So tied in with this concept of born again is all of a sudden the living hope that, hey, there is hope, there's a resurrection, there's, there's a, a way out of this world. This is not the only place we're meant to be. And there's a seed of faith and hope being planted in our hearts, okay? But it seems to me that this term being born again or saved um, means more than just what I experienced when I was in college. When I, my life changed in college and when many of yours maybe changed at some point in your life, I, I believe maybe a better way of looking at it is that's when the seed of the spirit or of faith was planted in our hearts, okay? And usually it happened because we repented. Well, what does repent mean? Repent just really means turn around. In other words, we were going in one direction and God somehow opened our eyes that, you know what? If you keep going that direction, it's not gonna end good. And so we turned and God planted the seed of faith in our hearts and we, we all of a sudden recognized we needed forgiveness and we received it and we began to walk and follow Jesus. But to be saved is something different, I think. 
I think that's like conception, if you will. When the sperm and the egg combine, it's conception in the womb, and the womb's a dark place. But fetal development has to take place, doesn't it? Before that soul is born into the next world, has to develop. And a lot of things can happen between conception and birth, right? You can have abortion, you can have miscarriage, stillbirth, all those things. When we look at the words saved or salvation, that appears 57 times in the New Testament. And in the way it's referred to is there are several verses that say we need to stand firm to the end, that we're being saved, that we will be saved, that we have to work out our salvation, that our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. So it sounds to me like salvation or saved is really something on ahead. That's where we're headed. It's like those boys in the cave. When the rescuers came and they realized that they had hope, that was the beginning. But a lot of things had to take place before they were up top under the sunshine, restored, right? And Jesus and the apostles seem to be telling us we need to be prepared for some kind of a day when Christ returns, or some kind of day of reckoning. Jesus himself said, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. Now what would have happened if some of those boys had decided, you know what, we want to stay down here. We're kind of having a fun time. It's kind of cool. And maybe they even wandered off further. What would have happened? I don't know. What would happen to us once we received the word of hope and faith and turned around if we just decided, well, we're not gonna, we're not gonna pursue this? Well, I don't know. It doesn't seem like it's very optimistic. Paul writes in the first Thessalonians, he says, may the God of peace make you holy or sanctify you through and through May you be kept in soul and mind and body blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. God shows you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. So there again, the word sanctification has certain meanings that we've attached to it uh, in the holiness you know, uh, tradition. Uh, we refer to sanctification as a certain experience, like a second experience. But scripture really talks about sanctification as a process throughout our lifetimes as God is preparing us for kingdom of God. Now there may be a second experience after we repent where the spirit comes to live in our life and begin to work, but this sanctifying process is something that has to take place. And you know, just like the, uh, the fetal development, okay, once the, the seed of uh, conception is planted in our hearts, it seems like one of the reasons why we're in this world is for God to be able to produce the fruit of his spirit in our lives. And the things that we go through, even though we can't even understand half the time why we're going through them, 
if we allow the Holy Spirit to have the opportunity, the Holy Spirit makes us more fit for the kingdom of God, if you will. More patient, more forgiving, more kind, more faithful, more peaceful, more perseverant, right? We're developing. The fetus in the womb is developing. In each stage, there are different parts of the human that is being developed that are going to be very important when the actual birth takes place. So maybe that's one of the reasons why we're in this life and why, why we aren't just automatically snapped into the kingdom of God and rescued. I don't know. That's a mystery. But that could possibly be the case. Now, the other thing Jesus talks about is born of water and of the Spirit. Now, we know that John's baptism was of water and Jesus is supposed to be of the Spirit. Um, I think we can look to Jesus as really kind of a, an example to follow because he actually got baptized in water, didn't he? He began his earthly ministry that way. He was taken into the desert where he had to decide whether he was going to give into appetite, applause, or authority apart from God's will, and he resisted those, and he came back anointed or filled with the Spirit. But for the rest of his earthly journey, for those next three years, it was a matter of letting go, letting go, purgation of, you know, it's your will, Father, not mine, your will, Father, not mine, right up to the cross. He had to carry his cross daily until that point in a way. And he referred to his upcoming death or crucifixion as a baptism. You know, can you receive the baptism or take the cup that I'm going to have to? Remember that? So baptism, in a spiritual sense, perhaps it's referring to that baptism of death that we are going to go through sometime. Now, there's different ways of looking at that. But that's certainly one way of looking at it. Another passage in the New Testament refers to the Old Testament, and, and they say that, you know, all of Israel was baptized in the waters of the Red Sea. Remember that? But many of them fell in the wilderness. So the baptism really didn't help them, right? That was the beginning of the journey. Only the ones that reached the Jordan River and were baptized in the Jordan River entered the Promised Land. Birth and death of the journey of Israel there. So while we're in this world, I think there are some things we need to do. We need to um, take up our cross daily, whatever that means, you know, see the bad things that happen to us or the trials and the frustrations as opportunities to say, okay, you know, Christ in me, I'm, I'm not going to allow these things to... Uh, have a hold of me anymore. I'm going to rise above these things, you know. We're to put off the old self, put to death the misdeeds of the body. We're to clothe ourselves with Christ, with the armor of light. We're to train ourselves to be godly because it has benefit both in this life and the next, you know. We're to keep our lamps burning, our lamps of hope and faith. And as we're doing all of this, we are lights to those around us, to those who are convinced this is all there is. No, this is not all there is. This dark world is not where we're really meant to be for eternity. You know, the, those boys who were rescued had to put on wetsuits. They had to put on backpacks. 
They had to put on masks where they received oxygen. In faith, they had to receive the anesthetic. That's a little like us in this life. We have to take on, put on the armor of Christ and, the, and we have to trust in God, you know. We have to be tethered to our rescuer or yoked to our Lord and Savior. Trying to swim isn't going to help us. Works aren't going to get us there. It's purely through faith, purely by the grace of God, that we can be rescued, just like those boys. There's no way on their own they could have ever, they couldn't have reached it. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. And, and in chapter 3 here of, um, of John, you know, Jesus says that um, as Moses lifted up the snake, it's only when I'm lifted up, you know, that uh, you can understand. And uh, Jesus was talking about how if they destroyed his temple, he would raise it in a few days. That was in chapter 2 of John. And, you know, the, the Pharisees and teachers of the law, they didn't understand. They thought he was talking about the real temple. But after Jesus had been crucified and resurrected, it says his disciples then understood what he meant. And they believed. So it's the resurrection of Jesus that all of a sudden puts all of this into focus. It would be like one of those rescuers taking the first boy out and then sending a message back, a video of the boy standing with his parents under the sunshine. That's, that's Jesus. He's, he's with his father. And that's where we're headed. We're told in scripture that Jesus rescued us from the dominion of darkness, that he will bring us safely to his kingdom. And we know that nothing can separate us from his love. He's done it. He knows how to do it. He can get us out. And then John chapter 3.16. You know, it says, he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. He didn't send his son into the world because he was mad at us. He just wanted to send a bunch of people to hell unless we converted. He sent his son into the world as a shepherd. He's looking after lost sheep. Looking after basically innocent maybe ignorant children that have wandered too far and gotten lost and trapped. But we're already condemned because we're already lost and trapped, like those boys. They were already, it was already a hopeless situation. But it wasn't anyone's fault but their own. We're in the same situation, but God doesn't condemn us. We're there. But he sent his son into the world to rescue us. I like this verse in 2 Samuel. It says, uh, like water spilled on the ground, we all must die. But God does not take away life. Instead, he devises ways so that a banished person will not be, remain estranged from him. But we're all like sheep who have gone astray. But God does not take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, not even the worst of us. He's patient. He wants all of us to be saved. And when Jesus came and died, God so loved the world, he gave his only son. He loved the world, the whole world. He's got a plan for the whole world. But I think that each of us, while we're in our human, earthly sojourn, we have a decision to make. Do we choose the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light? Do we want to call this world our home? 
Is that where our allegiance is? Or do we have allegiance to a higher kingdom? Do we recognize that we need God's help? Or don't we? I mean, that's, it's a very simple choice. The Holy Spirit takes care of from that point on. But people have to decide. Do we want to pursue the things that we know in our heart are wrong, that are pleasurable, that are self-centered? Or do we want to open ourselves up and pursue God and care about other people's needs? As long as we pursue the things of this world or fill ourselves up with our own self-centeredness, we're going to be too fat to fit through the eye of the needle or to be carried through the narrowest channels on the way to salvation. So in this life, we need to turn around to the light. We need to embrace the Spirit and cooperate with the Spirit and let go of those things that would distract or control us. Hold things lightly. Love people like the material things that, that are in our lives. And fix your eyes on Jesus. Thanks for listening to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. We hope you were inspired by this week's message. We would love for you to join us on a Sunday morning for our service, which begins at 10.30 a.m. We are located at 3924 High Street, Northwest, in Warren, Ohio. For more information about our ministries, or if you'd like to contribute to our ministries online, please visit us at championnaz.org.